0: I can't tell you how good it is to see our conformance here all together. Um, It's really good. It's really good. Um, We're reading a scripture passage from John chapter 20 today. It is the passage that comes after Easter morning. It is Easter evening. The disciples are gathered in a room together. Some of them have experienced the Easter morning uh, surprise of the empty tomb and the risen Christ. And now they're all together. So, hear, hear this story from John chapter 20. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jewish leaders, had locked the doors in the house. And Jesus entered and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he showed them his hands. And his side and the disciples seeing the master with their own eyes were awestruck and Jesus repeated his greeting peace be with you just as the Father sent me I send you and then he took a deep breath and he breathed into them receive the Holy Spirit he said praise God for the gift of Scripture let us pray. Holy God, may these words of your holy book and the words of my mouth uh, be part of the ministry of this church so that we might hear your word in our midst. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So today, the first Sunday after Easter is confirmation. We are starting this sermon series, Christine Hydes and I called a collective murmuration inspired by Julie Danilek and Mignon Pepe, who are leading our outreach benefit. They are using this metaphor of murmuration this spring to propel us forward toward collective justice seeking and action. And so I think it is apt that we follow along with them on this, uh, with this metaphor of murmurations. Starlings fly in concert across the sky. Maybe you've seen this, a murmuration. A starling flock swooping and dancing across the heavens as they migrate from Rome to Denmark or maybe from Kenya to London or maybe from New Mexico to New York City. They take these long migratory flights and it's called a murmuration because their wings beat in unison and kind of whisper. There's a murmur in the air as they fly by. And this Collective murmuration, right? This work of moving together reminds us that it is together that we thrive and it is together that we make an impact. So, thank you, Julian Mignon, for this beautiful metaphor. Uh, and you heard Sylvie, there's, you can still participate in the outreach benefit. So, we're, we're, we're grateful for all the ways that you're part of this murmuration. And we need this murmuration, not just for our outreach benefit, but for this spring season of worship, because our church season this spring is full of these seasonal migrations of sorts, right? There are some of you in this room who have migrated here to Chicago to be here this day. Some of you are not here today because you're still out on another sort of migration, but you are where you are and God is with you in that place. But we migrate this season into one another's lives in a particular way, on Confirmation Sunday to surround our young people with blessing and love, and on Choral Music Sunday to sing the song that is in our hearts, and on Mother's Day, and Youth Sunday, and Children's Day, and Memorial Day, each day hosting a crowd for a particular reason, each day bringing us closer to the ones that we love, each day offering us a chance to celebrate and remember when starlings migrate the sound of their wings reverberate and when we migrate in into one another's lives for these kinds of collective celebration and remembrance there's a a kind of reverberation between us as well we could feel it in our confirmation space as you guys were all gathering and There's a little bit of a murmuration between you as you connect with one another. Scientists who study the migratory murmurations of of, uh, starlings, they don't quite know exactly how this works as they fly in unison and they take these quick turns and they soar across the sky following one another. But scientists have a hunch about how this happens. They're not really quite sure the mechanism, but they think that individual starlings are in tune with about six or seven birds around them, so that when one of those six or seven birds moves, then they can change direction as well, and then the bird next to them might change, and then the six or seven birds around that bird change, and then all of a sudden... Everybody is going in the right direction. So they listen to their nearest neighbors. They communicate with one another so that soon the whole flock knows the way. It's kind of an avian phone tree, if you will, a chain reaction. So thousands upon thousands, multiple thousands of birds together in a flock, um, and one single bird can change the trajectory of the whole multitude. It's an apt metaphor for the body of Christ, for what we do as a church, that each of us are beloved by God and each of us influences one another so that we might together be the body of Christ. Like starlings, each of us rely on those six or seven people in our inner circle, the ones from whom we are inseparable, the ones who are our most treasured our most valued, our most cherished. For one of you, it's your best friend. For another, it's each of those guys in the boat at every evening on your rowing team. Or for some of you, maybe it's the people on your paddle team, your volleyball team, whoever it is, whoever your people are. You each have six or seven. Maybe it's your sibling without whom any of this is possible. Maybe it's your mom or your dad or your aunt or your grandma, someone who's just a text away. And in that long season that comes when we are separated from the saints of light who have gone before us, we are just a wing and a prayer away, forever inseparable each of your six or seven people have their own six or seven people to whom they are connected and they have their own six or seven people and soon enough this entire globe is interwoven, at which point we begin to notice how each of us are part of this ever unfolding mathematical equation of love and care and connection. There's something organic and fluid about it, embodied and spiritually centered when we think of ourselves as a flock all of us moving in tandem, synchronized, influencing each other. Do you remember that scene from Schindler's List with the girl in the red coat? Maybe it's too old of a film. It was made in 1993, so before you guys were born. Uh, Schindler's List is a story set in Poland during the worst part of the Nazi concentration camps. is a true story about a man named Schindler who saved more than a 1,000 Jewish refugees who may have otherwise been killed. And the whole movie is in black and white, right? It's it's an entirely black and white film, monochrome, except for one scene where this character uh, in a red coat stands out against all that gray. The little girl in the red coat is three and a half years old, walking alone through the chaotic streets, while Nazis gather everyone up and force them into train cars, but that girl in the little red coat is virtually unnoticed as she weaves through the madness unharmed. And she finds a way, she finds a way to safety when no one else can, she wins safe passage when everyone else is captured. She becomes in this film a a symbol of hope in a hopeless moment. And that little girl in a red coat, the actor, who played that little girl, is in her 30s now. She was three and a half when she was in the film, and Steven Spielberg told her not to watch the film until she was 18. She didn't take his advice, and she watched it when she was 11, and she was horrified by the war that she didn't really learn about when she was in the film as a three-year-old, of course. But when she watched it at 18, finally, she came to it with a new perspective and felt proud of being part of this story, this story that made an impact. Schindler's List was a reminder that each of us have the power to change one another's lives, that each of us can be hope in a hopeless moment. And that little girl in a red coat is grown up now and she lives in Poland and a few weeks ago, she became fearful for her own life because her village in Poland is close to the Ukrainian border and there were some Russian bombs that struck a village really close to her house, in Ukraine, but very close to the Polish border. But she said, I decided to change my fear into action, into helping people, remembering her role as a symbol of hope, In that film, Hope in a Hopeless Time, she said, I thought maybe this symbol uh, could help me to speak to more people. They don't maybe know me, but they know that I played this girl in the little red coat. So she's, she's put out a call to action. She's collecting supplies, first aid kits for soldiers and Ukrainians, food for refugees flooding into her country. She is changing the trajectory of our whole entire collective flock. Her call to action is causing our collective murmuration to bend toward good, to curve toward justice, to swing toward the possibility, the possibilities that might have otherwise remained impossible in the days when all is change and struggle and hardship and fear. And that's something that we have in, t- in common with the disciples, on that Easter evening. Challenge, struggle, hardship, fear. They had, they had heard the Easter morning reports that the stone was rolled away, that the tomb was empty, that Christ is risen. But for those disciples, that Easter morning story wasn't the end. That Easter afternoon, the disciples were in this unmarked house. They had locked the door. They were afraid. They were afraid, and into that place of fear, Jesus entered. Jesus entered the room. He just showed up. He didn't even knock. He was just there. He entered that room of fear where his grieving friends faced an uncertain future. They didn't know. Would they be killed like Jesus was? Maybe. What would be next? They weren't sure. They did not know what was ahead, The room was pulsing with fear and grief and uncertainty. And that sounds like us some days. When Bev Kirk and I sat down this week to think over and remember this year of confirmation, we noticed how soulful each of you are. We noticed your spiritual center of gravity, the way that you're honest about things that are hard and the way that you let God in through and into the midst of all of that. We notice the honesty, your steady faith, not just here in this sanctuary, but out into the world, right? You've told me that you see God in nature, in your families, in your friendships, in things that happen all over the place. Every day, you carry God with you. And we're still Figuring out all of this, right? This is this is our first confirmation class in the midst of you know, kind of in this post-pandemic moment, right? Uh, where um, certainty, rem- certain uncertainty rem- remains. We still don't quite know what all of this means for us. We haven't processed the fear and grief and uncertainty that uh, that we've all experienced, and so. Uh, we notice the way that our collective murmuration, our flight path has been shifted and changed in ways we haven't expected. And in your own lives, that's true too, right? There, your flight path has been shifted and changed by things that have happened in your lives. No one has been unimpacted. So in light of that, we, we long for one another in a new way. We need one another, we see that in a renewed kind of way. We rely on one another. Our collective murmuration is rising up and becoming a gift to us in a new way. So here's what I noticed about Jesus on that Easter evening in relation to to all of this. Jesus entered into fear. He entered the room of grieving friends, and he stood with them in uncertainty. He didn't give them false hope. He didn't say, it's all good now. It's okay. Instead, he brought peace. Peace be with you. And I noticed he, he offers a double helping of peace. He speaks peace twice. First when he entered the room and then when he breathes that breath of the Holy Spirit into their midst, echoing that ancient breath of God that was breathed into the first human beings. Peace and peace, a double blessing. And here's what's in between. The first piece and the second piece. Right in between, Jesus shows his disciples his wounds, his scars from his crucifixion. He shows them the pain in his hands and in his side, as if to say, I am with you in this, in all this uncertainty. My whole body is part of this. I am here with you. Jesus knew how to accompany disciples through their grief and fear and uncertainty because Jesus had been there himself and now he has returned, scars and all, to offer the peace of the Holy Spirit, the peace of the living God, a kind of peace that is beyond our understanding, is bigger and deeper than we can even describe. This is a peace that lives within the chaos, a peace that exists within upheaval and disruption, a peace that stands alongside and amid grief a piece that understands pain. That's what I noticed about this Easter Jesus. And yet, because each of our confirmands have such a deep spiritual center of gravity, I'm guessing they already know this. Instinctively, intuitively. They've already named this in their faith statements. They've already sensed this on their faith journeys. They already are standing within this long stream of embodied love. Jesus says to us, peace be with you. Here are my wounds. Peace be with you. Let the Holy Spirit be with you. And so as you live within challenge and struggle and hardship and grief and fear, may this deep peace of the living God enter into your midst now and always. Amen.